Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase. Thanks for joining me. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. Uh, so psyched to be here for this special episode. Uh, really love this one. So glad you're along for the ride. Um, I want to remind everyone to get involved with the Roadcase community if you so desire. And I'd like to also thank those that have and those that currently support Roadcase. Uh, once again, for your support, it really is very much appreciated. And if you'd like to get involved with the Roadcase community, you can do that in a number of ways. Uh, you can get involved over at Patreon. We have a Patreon site at patreon.com slash roadcasepod. And what Patreon is, is a site where you can support uh, independent artists and podcasts such as myself uh, throw in a couple of bucks a month to get some uh, early access to episodes and a few other goodies there but primarily uh, it's in place to help support Roadcase and to help me continue to bring these episodes uh, to you and um, if you've already done so I really appreciate your support so thank you for that and if you'd like to get involved with Roadcase I encourage you to do it uh, that way, um, there are other ways to do it that are of no cost, of course, and a primary way to do that would be to follow us on social media. That's easy. Uh, we're at, at Roadcase Podcast, and we also have a YouTube channel entitled Roadcase Podcast. Another great way to support Roadcase is to rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. For example, while you're listening right now, just hit pause, uh, go back and uh, hit up a review, uh, maybe write a few words and uh, hit up a couple stars. And I really appreciate your support. So I'm really psyched to have Aaron Lee Tastian uh, for this episode of Roadcase. Aaron is a Nashville-based, kind of folky, psychedelic, uh, alt-country artist, but it's really hard to put him in any one category, and he would tend to agree with that. Um, Fashion sense and style and art kind of collide with Aaron, and I really love his approach to how uh, he creates music and performs. He doesn't feel that he's uh, necessarily attached to one particular style or one particular type of music, and I really, uh, I really find that uh, that very interesting. He's a super open and intriguing artist who loves talking about his development, both from a fashion sense and also as an artist and songwriter. Aaron spent some time growing up in California where he had a band uh, when he was 11 years old that charged a neighborhood admission and donated it to a, to a charitable cause. Uh, so he's, uh, he really loves live performance and uh, such an important part of his, of his career thus far. Uh, he went to Berkeley School of Music. He's a very accomplished musician, um, has so many different influences, and now that he's landed in Nashville, uh, really considers that his home. And 
Prior to that, he spent quite a bit of time in New York and was in the band Semi-Precious Weapons, uh, quit that band like a year before they completely blew up, and um, it was really tough on him. Uh, he was pretty depressed and uh, kind of lived couch to couch and hand to mouth. It was a tough time for him until he got a call from Steve Conti of the New York Dolls, uh, asked him to come down and rehearse with New York Dolls and replace Steve, who was coming off the road for a little bit. And uh, so he rehearsed with the band and four days later found himself performing in front of uh, 35,000 fans in Lima, Peru, opening for the B-52s. Uh, so we'll hear a ton about that experience. Um, he also met Lucinda Williams kind of on a whim uh, in Nashville when a waiter recommended Lucinda to go see Aaron, uh, Aaron play. And uh, next thing you know, Lucinda's asking Aaron to uh, come on tour with him for a little bit and open for her shows. And that was a huge thing for him just because uh, Aaron's such a huge Lucinda fan. And we'll hear uh, some stories about that. He's also played in the band Everest, uh, uh, with Eli Thompson, who's a pr noted producer and is also the bassist in Father John Misty's band. Um, Aaron just loves performing, loves being in front of his audience, and uh, interestingly, began to kind of take cues from his audience and get that kind of energy from the fans and see that fans were sort of mimicking his level of style, and that really gave him a lot of energy uh, to continue to do what he does, which is just kind of be himself unapologetically uh, devoted to uh, what he thinks is going to motivate him, and he's just really, um, really an honest and open individual and i really loved this conversation with him uh really learned a lot about aaron uh still didn't learn, learn how to pronounce his entire name aaron lee tastian which is probably uh his new album that came out on february 5th called tastian 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 uh really forces us to say his name quite a bit which i'm sure is uh uh was kind of the point obviously but uh he's a very talented artist uh his latest album is really great. I love it. I loved talking to Aaron. He's got so many great stories and he's got such a wealth of, uh, of information at his fingertips. He's just a incredibly knowledgeable uh, musician, uh, who really owns himself, owns his style, uh, both musically and from a fashion sense. And I love that about him. So whether you're already a fan of Aaron or you're new to his music, I know you'll find this interview just chock full of great stories and interesting anecdotes, great quotes, tons of artists that are that are mentioned, and I really enjoyed this interview. I think you'll find it a, a really great one. So thanks for joining me for this episode of Roadcase, and thanks again to Aaron for taking the time to be here. So here we go. Hey, Aaron, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining Roadcase. Oh, it's great to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Um, you're looking as stylish as ever, I'd have to say. Always with the, uh, the visual accents, man. I love, I love the vibe. I really do. It's, uh, it's refreshing and cool. And, um, you know, from what I know about your music, it's sort of, it's like, it's very fitting. And um, you're always trying to catch that kind of the, the the visualness that sort of does that kind of tend to express where you're at at the moment or is that something that's sort of um kind of just ancillary to the to, to the way you live as well yeah i mean it's all kind of you know i'm just sort of i'm always 
I'm always um, sort of inhabiting, um, you know, the the place where I, f- I feel like I'm I'm coming from, uh, you know, at any particular point in time, you know, and that can and that can change from day to day, you know. I mean, yeah. I just wrote I just wrote a new song the other day where the chorus goes, "It's just like me to be someone else," you know. So, <laughs> um, it, you know, it it. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a very, um, it's a very fluid thing, you know, it can, it changes, you know, from day to day, like I was saying, but, you know, but it's real. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not, I'm not just doing it for, for fun, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I'm, I'm doing it cause I, I really, uh, I really feel it, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, and it, it it's kind of, it can come from anywhere. Like it can come from, you know, sometimes you get, you get up that day and, you know, you turn on the radio and, and Lou Reed singing something and, 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 and you're off to the races, you know? Um, so, you know, you just, you just never know. Um, but, uh, chances are, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's music that I like, um, you know, in some way that I enjoy in some way, like I'll probably, you know, be, be influenced by it. Um, even, even visually, I mean, more, probably a lot of times more so even visually than musically. Interesting. How so? Cause I, I got on here and you immediately pointed out the posters I have that on in the background behind. So you're, you're keyed into that for sure. But how is it even more visual for you? Yeah. I've, you know, because I think like, um, you know, mu- musically, like I, you know, I definitely, I'm not the kind of artist who listens to a certain kind of music and then that influences the record or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's more, um, you know, it is, it is more of how I, how I get dressed or, or whatever I think that influences the sound of, of what I'm doing. Um, and you know, it, that is, sort of a reflection of, of just how I feel that day, you know, kind of like what I was saying earlier. So it's, it's, uh, it all, it all really starts with what I put on in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, I'll go, I'll be on my way to the, to the studio a lot of times and, and, you know, swing by, you know, right up the road, there's a dollar tree there on the way to the studio. I'll swing by the dollar tree and buy some new sunglasses for a buck or whatever and (laughs) put them on and, and, and write a song based on how the sunglasses made me feel. You know what I mean? I wrote a whole song about pants the other day, just, you know, (laughs) standing in the coffee shop. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it, you know, it is, it really like, you know, a lot of, a lot of the inspiration for the music comes from uh, like how I look, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. And and you mentioned fluidity and not kind of, which I sort of read as sort of not being boxed into, a particular uh, genre, which is sort of um, kind of how I viewed your 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 work, at least on the last couple of albums, and based on a lot of the collaborations that you've that you've done, that you don't go into something with kind of a preconceived story. You sort of just that's kind of like how I'm feeling. Does that does that make sense? That's totally accurate. You know, it's the, I want to capture a moment in time. You know, I love, you know, Otis Redding writing Dock of the Bay, coming in the next day to the studio and going, hey, I just wrote this one last night. What do you guys think? You right, know, right. and and that's, the, to me, that's real magic. You know, like, 
just, you know, it before anyone had a chance to overthink it or, you know, uh, you know, uh, start saying, you know, well, we, you know, what's the focus track going to be, though, or something like that, you know, <laughs> yeah. they just cut the song and and, you know, and and it sounded like they had a great time doing it. And, and you know, that's kind of uh, that's kind of where it begins and ends for me, you know, as far as the music is concerned, just trying to capture a little moment of magic. Yeah. H- has that changed over time for you? Um, How old do you know? I'm 35. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't say, um, it's changed. Um, I've kind of always been influenced by a lot of different things and have always made a lot of different kinds of music. Um, even since I was a kid, I mean, when I was 16 years old, I wrote a, a song, um, at school, uh, we had a, a peace week to, um, it was on the anniversary of the Columbine thing. Right. And yeah. so it was kind of a, you know, an anti-bullying campaign and like all that kind of stuff tied into one. It's just like, let's look out for each other, you know? And so I kind of wrote a song that sort of spoke to that. And that song made it to Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul and Mary somehow. And when he you and were I, 16, when I was 16, is that yeah, when you we were living a, in San Juan? I had, we had moved San Juan to Capistrano. Uh, we had moved to New Albany, Ohio when I was uh, 14. Ah, so okay. just just after that. Because you were in Delaware, move. then California, yeah. then Ohio, like crisscrossing yeah. the country. That's cool. Okay, so how did that get into his hands? To Pete I, can't, I can't remember. I think what happened was he was... He was doing a, uh, he was singing at a safe schools conference in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And my principal, I think, knew the person who was putting it on and said, you know, my one of my students wrote this and maybe you should play it for Peter or something. So Peter invited me to sing with him. I sang wow. Blowing in the Wind with Peter Yarrow when I was 16 years old. My parents were like losing their minds. Holy you know what shit, I mean? I bet. Um, and later on that same year, I was, I was all at that same time. I was, a, I was the, I was a member, a guitar, pl- the guitar player in the Columbus youth jazz orchestra, which was a big band like Count Basie style, Duke Ellington style, big band. Uh-huh. And we played that music, you know, but we also played some, some hippers later stuff like Mingus and stuff like that. What were you were playing? Um, what instrument were you playing? I was playing guitar. You were playing guitar, yeah, okay. Yeah, in a I was big, trying in a big band. Yeah, uh huh, uh huh. I was trying to be like Freddie Green from the Count Basie Orchestra. Who, if if for any of our listeners who've never heard Count Basie, Freddie Green played rhythm guitar in this really specific way. Yeah, that almost blended in with the drum set to the point where it almost sounded like the drums were playing chords or something like that. Yeah, really I've always been fascinated with the guitarist just sitting back there in a big band scenario. Like, what is he playing and how is that fitting <laughs> in? Can you turn him totally. up? Can you turn him up? <laughs> well, that's the thing, man. Like, he never used an amp and neither did I, you know. Um, Wait, so he, what that, do you mean he never used an amp? He never plugged his guitar into an amplifier. He played these giant, thick, huge, like, telephone wire style strings. Oh, wow. And, and played and hit the hit the guitar sort of up more towards the the uh, neck of the instrument yeah, rather yep, than yep. back by the bridge. So it got this really punchy, he could really lay into it, you know, and it got this really punchy, you know, it sounds like the hi-hat kind of, because it's going, 
ka-ching, ka-ching, yeah, wow. ka-ching, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it really swings. It helps the band swing, right, you know? Right, And so that's what I was, I was doing this in the Columbus Youth Jazz Orchestra. And we went, we got invited to play this competition called Essentially Ellington, which took place at Avery Fisher Hall in New York City. And wow. the judges of the competition were people like Wynton Marcellus and Victor Goins and um, David Berger and uh, all these, you know, people from Lincoln Center Jazz and stuff. And uh, I won the award for outstanding guitarist. I was the only guy there that didn't play a solo. <laughs> I, wow. just, I just did what Freddie Green did in the Count Basie Orchestra, you know, and <laughs> and uh, and they gave me the award for outstanding guitar player. So the same year that I sang Blowing in the Wind with Peter Yarrow. I won a big band jazz guitar award, you know, wow. and and got a, ended up getting a scholarship to Berkeley to do jazz guitar performance. And um, but I was but but, you know, I was I was at Berkeley College of Music. You know, I was supposed to be, you know, transcribing, you know, Charlie Parker's version of Just Friends or something like that. Yeah. I was I was listening to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot trying to figure <laughs> out how to do that. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> So, you know, it's, I was always just kind of all over the place. I just loved music, you know, yeah. just all kinds of music spoke to me. And, and, you know, as much as I can, I try to incorporate it into my thing as a singer songwriter. You mm -hmm. know, I don't, I don't want to make it so schizophrenic that it's impossible to follow, but at the same time, like I want to be true to who I really am, which is this guy who's honestly is genuinely pulling from all these kind of different crazy places. Yeah, I can totally relate to that, just having so many different influences and wanting to bring it back. What I can't relate to is being an artist and doing that. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to, um, and I fully appreciate that. And that is completely evident in, in the, the who you've played with and the collaborations and the different bands that you've, you've gone on tour with, et cetera. Is that ever a negative to not be completely focused on one specific direction? I mean, that's I mean, not to like focus on the negative or anything. I'm just like, no, 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 what's no. the perspective? What's your perspective on having so many separate influences? Is that ever a negative for you? I mean, you know, I, th I suppose it depends on how you look at it, because I think there's arguments to be made for both things. You know, I think certainly marketing wise, probably um, it's if if there's just sort of more one main influence, it's probably easier for someone to figure out how to market you because mm -hmm. they can they can follow in the footsteps or the blueprint or whatever yeah. of the thing that already exists. Right. You know? well, for sure. You want to make stuff easier for the marketing people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't apparently, no, um, but, uh, <laughs> but no, but you know, I think in another way it, you know, look music, you know, I think any, any great, you know, uh, musician or songwriter or whatever, you know, all, all of those people are, you know, uh, an amalgamation of their influences in one way or another, you know, now they might have a more obscure record collection than this person or that person. So maybe you're not as familiar with some of the influences of some people as you might be with others, right. but those influences exist for every artist. Um, and so in a way I kind of think for me, putting together these, these influences, some that might seem like some people, feel they're like a pickle and peanut butter sandwich kind of like things that don't <laughs> go together to me that sort of is a way to be original you know in a yeah. time where it's kind of like yeah you know you're not there is there isn't any form of music that you can play that's completely original or whatever but i do think there's something to be it's almost like 
it's it's about having so many influences that people can't just tag you as like, oh, I get it. They they're just a big fan of, you know, whatever. Um, You know, it's it's having so many influences that it kind of keeps the work interesting. Yeah, it's fresh and it's it's uh, yeah, it's 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 compelling because then, you know, you're listening to this uh, this new album and it's um, it's it's um, it's it's psychedelic feel but kind of poppy and then i'm like well this guy lives in nashville what is he what's he all about you know and getting those kind of influences and um how has nashville sort of fit into that picture for you and and being there and and having those influences yeah it's been huge you know i mean the 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 person who really got me down here was my buddy todd snyder you know who um is kind of for anyone who doesn't know Todd's music, I would sort of equate him as like a modern day John Prine kind of songwriter. You know, he took that kind of storytelling troubadour, um, you know, f- folk rock mixed with country music um, sort of aesthetic and totally did his own thing with it, um, mm-hmm. where he sort of is like this, uh, you know, uh, like Arlo Guthrie on LSD kind of <laughs> um and and it's and it's amazing you know and he kind of told me he was like look man you know people think nashville's a country town but you got to come down here and see for yourself like it's a town that's like you are it's really eclectic and there's all kinds of different things going on and um all kinds of different music being made and and you know i came down here having already studied john prine having already studied guy clark you know um and uh, having been a big fan of those songwriters. Um, and then when I got down here and I was like, and I met, you know, all these people like Elizabeth Cook and, um, you know, and then certainly, you know, tons of, of folks in my own peer group, you know, Lily Hyatt, Margot Price, um, you know, Caitlin Rose, um, uh, my friend Yola, who's uh, just who's English, actually, but but mm-hmm. ha- now we we can now claim her as a Nash- Nashvilleian as well. She yeah. she lives here in town, um, but you know th- those those kind of artists, um, you know, all were all were kind of flipping my my switch, you know, and um, and I think that's great because at the end of the day, what I really want to see is is somebody sing a song or play a song live that makes me want to go home and pick up my guitar and write another song, you know, because I think that's the, for artists, I think that's the power of, of seeing, you know, whether they're your friend or just another artist that you admire or whatever, uh, or someone you didn't even know, you know, when they come along and blow you away, it's like, Oh, that feeling of like excited, being excited about music. And like, you just run home to pick up your guitar to see, you know, man, do I have, is there anything in here for me today? You know, I got, I love this, this feeling of excitement. I want to create that for myself, you know? So it's, um, it's a great town in that way because it's just full of, you know, inspiring artists who are doing the kind of music that also happens to turn me on, which is cool. Yeah. And from a live perspective, you, you, you pick up a lot of that from an inspiration from live performances. Oh, huge, man. I mean, you know, that's where I started, you know, that's where I really came to music from, um, you know, was the performance aspect of it. You know, I, um, you know, I'd been playing guitar for maybe, 
I want to say maybe a couple of months or something like that. You know, I was 11 years old and I, I, I knew there was one, uh, there was a kid in my class. I didn't know if he played the drums, but I'd been to his house and seen that he had a drum set. Mm-hmm. Um, and his name was Max Mahaffa. And then there was a kid in the grade lower than me named Stryker Matthews, who was, um, I knew his guitar teacher and his guitar teacher said, man, he can really play lead guitar pretty good. So I thought, well, there's a band, you know, <laughs> I'll play rhythm guitar and sing. And I got Max on drums and Stryker on, on a lead guitar, you know, and yeah. I think we, I think we learned Wonderwall or something like that. Right. And, you know, my girl by the temptations and a couple of tunes like that. And, and sold tickets to the neighborhood and put on a concert in my driveway. You know, <laughs> shit. Like, are you like, kidding me? No, no, I'm totally serious, man. Like that. That was, you know, and and our uh, this was the That's best so part. Cool. The, the name of our band was the Flaming Matches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, and you were eleven. Yeah, right. You were eleven. Yeah, we were eleven. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. let's 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 use fire and like fire burning yeah. stuff and like some yeah. kind of fire. They're yeah, like, you know. Totally. Delinquency. How much were tickets? Oh, God. I want to say a <laughs> buck, maybe 50 cents, something like that. We gave all the money to the, to the PTA at the school. All right. Um, all right. And they, you they played your first the... benefit show early on. <laughs> oh, man. We're, you know, this, we're, this music is for the people. Always has been, always will be. <laughs> right you know on, what I mean? Right on. But yeah, but from the get go, performance was a huge part of it for me. Yeah, that's amazing. And, um, so you've you've collaborated with several different bands. I mean, most maybe well, most notably or notably, let's say New York Dolls, where you you got involved with them and, and toured with them quite a bit. Can you uh, can you talk to me about that? Yeah, I mean it. It was a it was a crazy time in my life when that happened because I had a band. I'd started a band called Semi Precious Weapons, and mm-hmm. um, we were fast rising young stars on the New York music scene. We got a record deal with Razor and Tie. Um, and so like I, around what time frame was this, Aaron? This, I, we started that band in 2005 and uh, I, I quit the band right after, right before our, our debut record came out on Razor and Tie in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'd been, and, and so I left the band. I left Semi Precious Weapons their record comes out um, and it took maybe about a year or so. And then all of a sudden it exploded. They got asked to be the opening act on the Lady Gaga monster ball tour. Wow. Um, Interscope records stepped in and s- gave them a new record deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they were in a tour bus and flying all over the world and um, playing arenas, you know, and I, and people were calling me like, Hey man, are you okay? You know, like you, you quit this band that is now like exploding into fame, you know? Um, And, you know, I was depressed, honestly, because I was playing in cover bars on Bleecker street. You know, I was playing, you know, Chumba Wumba songs at the red lion, you know, um, why'd from, you, uh, why'd you leave? Um, a couple of reasons, but the main one I would say was, I just made the bad decision of, of, um, falling in love with a band member, you know, and, and we had a sort of on again, off again, kind of romance that, um, 
just got to a place where it sort of made my position in the band kind of untenable, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I had been a creative, a big creative force in the band. The singer and I had co-written all the songs together and, and all that kind of stuff. But it just got to a place where, you know, it was clear personality wise, like it just wasn't a great match. And, and honestly, I felt like I got to a point where I felt like I was actually holding them back in certain ways because, you know, they were, they were really excited to do all the stuff like be on MTV made and, um, you know, all those kind of things. And, and I, I, you know, I was, I was like 24, you know, and I had a chip on my shoulder about being a rock star or whatever, you know, I kind of wanted to have this punk rock kind of ethos about it and yeah. be too, be too cool to be popular kind of, you know, right, I was right, young, right. I was young, man. I was young. And, um, well, you left for you. It sounds like you left for reasons that were right for you. It was just kind yeah. of bad timing if all you were looking for was success, which uh, you, you can't kind of re-engineer that sort of situation. You left no. because you thought it was the right decision to, to do at the time. But that was tough to see that uh, kind of popularity come upon them. How'd you handle that? I mean, yeah, it was really tough, man. I was, you know, and, and I, you know, the, the little work, the little road work that I could get at the time, you know, there was even one instance where I went on tour with a band and they went over budget on the tour and they couldn't pay any of us when we came home. And I ended up having to give up my apartment because of it. I got too far behind on my rent. Yeah. So I was basically... I slept on the floor of my rehearsal space. I slept in the back of my van. I, I slept on my friend Shaney's couch when when I could. I slept on my friend Curtis's couch when I could. Yeah. I mean, I was living hand to mouth eating $2 slices of pizza like one a day because that's what I could afford to do, right. you know. And the phone rang, you know, at the beginning of 2009 and it was Steve Conti from the New York Dolls. You know, he'd he'd seen Semi Precious Weapons play because Tony Visconti had produced our first record. Right. And when Tony came down to see us, he brought a couple of the dolls to our show. He brought Sylvain, Sylvain, mm -hmm. and he brought Steve Conti. Mm -hmm. So Steve called me up and said, Hey man, uh are you still wearing your real wild clothes, you know, and, and do you still have some interesting hair going on? Cause if you do, <laughs> I might have a gig for you. <laughs> um, he, he and his wife were having their first child. Um, yeah. so he was going to come off the road with the dolls, you know, mm. and, and thought of me yeah. to, to stand in. And so what was, what was your answer to, to, to the question? <laughs> Oh man, I see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I you know, no, the that was uh, the clothes, no brainer the for me, the hair and the clothes question. <laughs> yeah, no, it was absolutely it was the answer to that question. I'm you know, I mean, it it's uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm, it's not a, uh, I wake up like this, as they say, <laughs> you know, it's not a, uh, I'm not putting on an outfit or whatever. So, right. um, just yeah, point me in man. the direction of the dollar store, and I'm good to go. Absolutely. Yeah. I can, I can do it on a budget. Um, so I, that's I said, exciting. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, man. That's an amazing call. So how'd that go down from there? Uh, I learned 35 songs from memory, New York doll songs. Uh, we went to SIR and, uh, David, we would, no, I'm sorry. We went to Steve Conti's rehearsal space, uh, in Midtown mm -hmm. and, we would play 
about a verse and a chorus of each song. And then David would stop the band and go, sounds good. Let's do the next one. And we did that for 35 songs. Right. And he said, okay, great. See you tomorrow. <sighs> and, and, and I met him at JFK airport and we flew to South America <laughs> and, pl- and played this and played, played a double header with the B-52s <laughs> at, the, at the National Soccer Stadium in Lima, Peru to 35,000 people. <laughs> How many days after that rehearsal was that? Like four. <laughs> Wow. And then how many days before the rehearsal was the phone call? I just want to like get the timing down. Maybe a month or two <laughs> okay. months. All right, all right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, like that's, wow, four days after that. So what was that like? What was that like? I mean, it was like a dream come true in a lot of ways, man. I mean, I could literally, the big giant screen that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd seen for years, like, you know, because because on stage Eric Clapton looked about that big, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But at least I could see him on the screen. Suddenly right. I was on that screen. You're on the fucking jumbotron. Wow. Yeah, what dude. What the fuck I is mean, that like? Mind blowing. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was and, and and I was doing it with with a group who to me is one of the most legendary rock and roll bands like of all time. Yeah, right. So on. in a number of ways it was really um, incredibly like humbling and like kind of an honor really, you know, um, to, to be able to play with a band like that. And then of course, Sylvain and I developed a, a close personal relationship, um, during the course of that time. And even after I, uh, my time when the dolls was finished, he and I continued working on different projects that, that mm-hmm. he was doing, um, and collaborating, um, you know, and I, with him and and Tommy Price from Jones Jet and the Blackhearts and Kenny Aronson from the Yardbirds and uh, Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols and um, it was a it was a really really fun time in my life and really kind of gave me a boost um, honestly when I sort of really needed one man because I was I was kind of facing this uh, sort of feeling of like did I really blow it by leaving this band you know right right um, but. Uh, you know, I had a really amazing night one night where I was playing a, my own songs in 11th Street Bar in New York City, which is where I lived at the time. And Sylvain came to the gig mm-hmm. unannounced. Just I just looked up and there he was. And, I, you know, I went over after the show and I was talking to him and he said he was like, man, that's what what you just were doing. That's what you should be doing all the time. You know, that was after the, the tour. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, in a lot of ways, he really kind of, you know, gave me a, an extra, you know, boost of confidence, um, you know, to, to dive full on into my own music, you know? Yeah. So how long did that tour go on? Um, I, you know, I can't remember exactly how long the tour was. I do know we were supposed to, it ended, um, in a very New York Dolls fashion, we were supposed to play two shows in Brazil and somehow they both got canceled. <laughs> so, so we ended uh-huh. up having to go home early, um, from that tour. And then when we got back to the States, uh, I did a couple promotional things with them, something for uh, playboy TV. Um, and, uh, they had, they had just finished a new album, um, which was coming out um at that time so um and i got asked to join the band um and it 
it got to uh, it got to a place where I sort of felt like uh, maybe the writing was on the wall a little bit um, with where that band was probably headed, and I thought eh, not a good time for me to join this band. Um, so hmm. I, I <laughs> once again. Uh, <laughs> It was really hard to do. It was even harder at that time than it was to leave semi precious weapons. But I, I said no, thank you, um, and kept working on my own music and and moved to Nashville about maybe a year or two after that. Um, and once I got to Nashville, it was just full swing into my own into my own music. So that was like twenty ten ish. Yeah, time frame. Two, uh, two thousand. No, because I, I I worked I worked with Sill on his projects um, up through like 2013. So that oh, was okay. about the beginning of 2014 when I moved to Nashville. Right, right. So that chant that that when he came to the show in Eleventh Street, uh, where what I don't know what venue that was, but uh, yeah, you you were just playing sort of like it was like a were you with a band? You were just doing solo stuff. What were you doing at that time? 11th Street Bar was kind of the command center for for singer songwriters. Like I met Justin Towns Earl there. Oh, you know, wow. his his dad Steve used to come in all the time, and um, you know, different people would come in uh, just sort of randomly and 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 sing a song. You know, it's a it's an Irish bar on 11th Street between avenues A and B, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's legendary, man. If you're a musician in New York, you've been to 11th street bar, I'm sure. Um, so, you know, it, that was the, that was the place where I was playing my weekly gig, you know, and I would do all kinds, you know, I would do my own songs, but also Bob Dylan songs and whatever I felt like doing. And I would put different bands together just from, you know, the neighborhood, different people that I dug. So, you know, it was kind of a residency of sorts, I guess. Um, but I was just always in 11th Street Bar anyway. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> At the time, you know, that's kind of where I was in life. So <laughs> uh, I was there whether I was playing or not, whether they wanted me there or not. Um, yeah, right. But uh, it was, it no. was taking, up, taking up some headspace. Yeah, for sure. It sounds man. like kind of in a good way, though. It's sort of a good it, to have like that touch point, sort of grounding of a of one particular place that sort of speaks to what your vibe is. And that was it, you know. I mean, I imagine it very much like you know, um, you know, Folk City or you know any of those kind of you know old town school of folk in in Chicago mm-hmm. or whatever. Any of those kind of you know uh, the bitter end or. Uh, you know, any of those kind of legendary places um, where, you know, so many musicians have, uh, you know, met, you know, over the years. I mean, you you know, you you hear those stories like, um, you know, Christofferson playing at the Bitter End in New York and inviting John Prine and Steve Goodman to come do a song in his set to try and get them a record deal, you know, Um, which of course, you know, happened right away for Prine. You know, he, he signed with Atlantic, I think maybe the next day or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, So, you know, I, I, I wanted that sort of, um, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Michael Debar about this, you know, but it's a lot of ways it's like about just creating these, these memories, these moments in time, you know, and I was looking for a place where that kind of thing could happen for me, you know, and 11th street bar was it for sure. Well, it's interesting. Cause you know, 
you went on this global tour with New York Dolls and playing in these massive venues, et cetera. Um, did you have in your mind the singer-songwriter vibe at that point? And then you're like, well, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm playing this role right now in this mm. band, but kind of like in your, in your mind, you're thinking eventually I want to be in a different direction or are you sort of, how did that, that kind of mentality figure into where you were at that time? Well, I knew I, I was, I, because I was such a huge Johnny Thunders fan and because I knew the power of him singing a song like you can't put your arms around a memory, I already understood that those two things were not different things and that you could oh, okay. absolutely be the same. You could be that thing that he, that a guy like Johnny Thunders is, you know, or, or a guy, you know, I mean, on a larger scale, you know, a guy like Keith Richards or whatever, like the kind of artist who's capable of, you know, leaving a musical imprint in many different capacities, you yeah. know, and, and, and does it effectively and, and does it in a way where like, you know, it's sort of, it's maybe, you know, if all you've ever heard Johnny Thunders play is Pipeline or something, mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't expect a song like you can't put your arms around a memory, you right, know, but I, right, but right. I, but I feel like the fact that he's equally well known for both of those things is, is sort of like a testament to the fact that it's really all about the music, you know, and if yeah, the music yeah. does its job, the artist doesn't have to worry about, you know, um, being perceived as this or that or whatever, because at the end of the day, what they'll be perceived is as um, is a great musician. And being able to do that in the context of a band or the context of being a singer songwriter, sort of on in a, in a solo project um, and having all those different influences sometimes happens with others around you, or you kind of, as you have done, it seems moved from one thing to the other pursuing interests that you've had, um, which is fine. I mean, that could have happened in a, that can happen in the context of just one band that happens with some people. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it kind of harks back to what we were talking about before and your different influences and just kind of so many different wavelengths that you can be on at the same time. Yeah, man. I think that's, you know, I think that's true. And like, you know, I, you know, I think there's something to be said for those, those kind of artists who, whether it's a singing voice or, or, a, or a, a, you know, a particular sense of melodicism or a particular lyrical style um, or whatever it is there, you know, those are the elements of what's tying it together. It's not a specific sound necessarily or whatever. I mean, cause I like it to me, an artist like Ray Charles, you know, who can, who can, you know, do his Ray Charles thing, but then also turn around and give you an incredible record, like modern sounds and country music, for example. Right. You right, know, yeah. like that to me, like that's the coolest thing, yeah. you know, it's a surprise, you know, like right. a wonderful surprise, you know, and, and like, so I'm always trying to figure out ways to bring that out of myself. You know? Yeah. That's, that's totally inspiring too, just from a, <clears throat> from a fan perspective and from a music lover's perspective to, um, get out there and have, and not be afraid to like change a direction and come out with something. That's how, tr that's how true artists are made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's I mean a, because, because true artists, being a true artist is really about um, being genuine to yourself and being authentic. Right. I think so. You know, and so, so in some ways it could be a tougher path because 
you know, there, there will be a certain segment of people who perceive it as like, oh, this guy's trying to like find out who he is or whatever. Um, you know, but the, the truth is, I think it's, it's much more of like what we're saying. It's having a healthy amount of curiosity, you know, and I think, you know, Bob Dylan said like, artists should always be in a constant state of becoming, you mm. know, and, and, and they only get in trouble when they, when they think they've figured out what it is that, you know, sells their music or whatever, you know? And, and so if you, if you don't allow yourself to get caught up in like, Oh man, I made silver tears and everybody really loved that. And karma for cheap doesn't really sound like silver tears. So what will people think? Like if you approach it from that mentality, you know, then I think it, it leaves room for people to perceive it as like, mm, it seems like he's searching for something he didn't quite find. Whereas if you're kind of coming, if you're kind of coming to it more from the place of karma for cheap is already a success because it doesn't sound like silver tears, because I didn't repeat myself because I found a new place to go. And mm -hmm. it's something that I believe and inspires me, Right. you know, that, sort of takes the the idea that um you know you're somehow trying to find yourself or something like out of the equation you know all all the things that i'm doing are 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 doing i'm doing intentionally you know and however people perceive that is however people perceive it but i just i don't you know the only the only time that i disagree with somebody's take is when they think that like this is me like searching for something or trying to find or like you know acting as if what i did was an accident you know it mm -hmm. might be a weird combination of things you know for somebody to put together but like you know so is Jimi hendrix opening for the monkeys <laughs> wow. yeah for sure right i mean kind of a you you do what you you're kind of you have a muse and you're following that. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> and you know whatever that means is what that means. But I right. I'm willing to I'm willing to accept that because like to me, you know the reward is like the 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 music. And if I can be interested and excited about the work, then you know I don't have to like go up on stage and pretend perform something with passion and with, you know, excitement or whatever. Cause I yeah. genuinely feel that way about it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why, well, that's interesting. Like, why would you have a problem? Like have people criticized you for going up and doing something that you don't particularly feel? Um, I've, you know, what's weird. I, uh, like sometimes I'll get, these like random, you know, we all do on social media or whatever, just random people weighing in. But like, I've had a couple people uh, actually write to me and say, do you, do you like your own music? Jeez. <laughs> Which, you know, no, I don't. I mean, That's why I spent right. hours and hours <laughs> and hours and hours and countless, you know, <laughs> so much no, effort to like put this thing out in the world. The last time that happened, I was, I, I, res I think I responded with something like, isn't this the part of the interview where Bob Dylan yells at the guy with, from Time Magazine, like, would you ask the Beatles that? <laughs> <laughs> and then leave the interview and then get a bad rap himself that he doesn't totally. want to be interviewed. Well, yeah, totally. of course you're going to ask fucking stupid questions like that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So do you like your own music or no? 
No, you were just drinking something, so I'm trying to make you spit take. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Um, so how have you been managing during this tough time uh show shutdowns and what's it like to um uh release an album during this time for you? It's crazy, you know. I mean, not being able to go on tour is tough, super tough for me because I get a lot out of the experience. Um, uh, you know, Ramblin' Jack always says, you know, that the main thing about, you know, this is the traveling. You know, the the songwriting is just a bunch of grab ass. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. but I, you know, well, I mean, there's I, uh, truth to that, right? The songs have to be good, but if you can go out and sell them and like the, because you believe oh, yeah. in them, like people are going to word gets around. Right. So there's some truth. To that. Who is Ramblin' Jack? Uh, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, um, who is uh, probably the, I would say the, the father of, you know, so much of, of what people like me do, you know, yeah. anybody who could be considered, you know, on some level, a, a folk singer or a troubadour or a, you know, a person who writes their own songs and travels around and sings those songs to people for a living. Um, you know, Ramblin' Jack is kind of the, the, the four, uh, what I would call the forefather of that. Um, so, you know, his, his approach, I really dig because he's, uh, to me, he's a guy who's doing it for all the right reasons, you know? Right. Interesting. Um, and, you know, the live thing, you know, is it's different than this, than the, than the studio, you know, um, and it's all traditionally, it's been my measure of, um, you know, how quote unquote successful is this record or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I always sell the same amount of records. I'm like Randy Newman, man. Every time I put out a record, I sell the exact same amount of records. <laughs> um, but, um, but the shows, you know, when you go to the gigs and there's more people turning up to the gigs, you know, and then right. on the last record, people were starting to show up kind of dressed like we were. Oh, you no know? kidding. And how many, that... how many mirror jackets did you say? <laughs> Nobody did the mirror jacket, but we did have some, some karma, uh, some karma inspired, um, red and yellow clothes out in the, out in the crowd. And that was really cool to see uh, you know, people kind of picking up on that element of it. I mean, you know, there's a, I can't remember what book it is, but there's a, a, I can't, or the title of the book, but there's a book out there where it's just, it's a photography book and it's all shots of people waiting in line to get into shows. Mm-hmm. And they're just, and, and, and they tell you what show it is, you know, yeah. it'd be like Madonna and you see, like everybody's dressed like Madonna in yeah. a lot. Yeah, 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 <laughs> in some yeah. way. You know what I mean? Oh, believe like, me, dude. I went to high school during that time in like right. early Madonna, right? There was yeah, like totally. a whole whole clique yeah. of girls that were like, you know, the bracelet. Exactly. And the, yeah. Like exactly. Yeah. And it was <laughs> right. amazing. And I, I so I love that. You know, like I just I love how those things intersect and and you know, the power that you the power that's that's afforded you know, to someone when they put on something else or, you know, try on another personality or, or Mm -hmm. whatever. I, um, I think it's really cool. So, um, you know, for me, um, you know, I, you know, again, like that, that, that experience is, uh, you know, the catalyst basically, you know, for, for the whole thing and being able to then see that, happening like in the live performance 
arena of things, you know, where it's no longer, it's like, I'm not the only one doing it. You know what I mean? Like, then it starts to feel like there's some kind of a movement, you know, or, uh, or, uh, what do you know, mean by you're not the only one doing it? Well, cause I, mean, I can what's, look at what's, what's it there. What you're talking about. Mm. Um, I'm not the, I'm not the only one, you know, standing in the room who decided to, to put on something, uh, you know, in an effort to, to be, uh, you know, uh, in an effort to go beyond, you know, what it is, what it is of myself that I know, you know, um, mm-hmm. to have, uh, you know, enough, enough curiosity about myself to put on a hat, uh, or a, or a scarf or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, something that I, um, you know, can, um, transform in, you know, that I can go, that I can go somewhere else, become something else, you know, find, find another, uh, thought, you know, find another, um, you know, uh, um, you know, sense of myself. Yeah. Well, so did seeing, um, did seeing your fans that are showing up and kind of mirroring that vibe, did that kind of give you a validation or, give you kind of a um a sense of positivity that that's like something that other people are doing as well and picking up on yeah it made me feel it made me feel good about my choice to do that because mm-hmm. i because i felt like okay this is this is something that um you know is is clearly affecting other people the same way that it has affected me yeah you know yeah um and i think those are you know we're always looking for points of connection you know, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and certainly a live show is ripe with opportunities for these points of connection. Oh, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not only from a musical standpoint, which is generally where my first thought goes, but that's why this is really interesting for me is because you're talking about how you're influenced by the way that fans show up for you. Totally, man. It's, it's amazing. You know, I think like, uh, you know, I, the first time that ever happened to me was in semi-precious weapons, you know, where, you know, we, you know, that band was kind of like, you know, um, you know, the B-52s or R.A.M. or something. There was like a built-in audience for it before it even, we play, our first show ever was a sold out show at the Knitting Factory that we headlined, you know? Mm. So it, it was, it was crazy you know, because it, and it was built off the back of our singer Justin's solo career. So I think that's maybe where a lot of that audience came from. But then as people got to know Semi Precious Weapons and they would show up to the show and they would be making my kind of moves that I, my sh- kind of shapes that I made on stage, like <laughs> back to me before yeah, I right, would do right, it. Right, you know what I mean? Right. That, God, you know, like that, that is, is like, you know, that's as, as powerful a connection in a lot of ways as like, you know, giving somebody a big old tongue kiss or something, you know? <laughs> okay, sure. Or being on like the Jumbotron in Rio or something. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Or wherever the hell that was. That's interesting, man. But so, so we're not doing that right now. And, um, you know, yeah. you're not going on tour with this album, but uh, I mean, right now you're not. Yeah. Uh, maybe later on this year, but um, so how, how have you sort of, um, what have, has your, have your creative outlets been and to connect with fans and during this time? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've done all the usual things, yeah. you know, I've done the live streams and, 
Uh, I've been a part of some really cool ones, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, the hardly strictly bluegrass folks, um, out in San Francisco yep. put on a, a great live stream at the Ryman, um, mm-hmm. that I took part in. Um, and I had a crazy thing happen where I, I decided that I wanted to almost like plastic Ono band or something. I made a tape recording of myself playing some instruments at home and brought it into the um, gig with a, on a little tape cassette machine that had a speaker right. in it cool. so that I could push play and play along with myself right um, as part of the performance. So we did a take of it and they said, okay, I think we need to get it one more time. So I rewound the tape back to zero mm-hmm. and I hit play and I swear to God, all this bluegrass music came out of the speaker all of a sudden. What? And it was, it completely freaked everybody out. Like I hit, I was like so stunned that I hit stop immediately on the tape player. And I was like, Whoa. And I don't know, man, I guess we got some sort of like bluegrass ghost band rhyme and visitation or something, but there wasn't anything on that tape other than my, recorded tracks or whatever when i went back and played it again and wait those recorded tracks were not there at the time exactly (laughs) like dude the ghost ghost of the ryman theater instead of my keyboard part that i'd recorded coming out all this bluegrass like guitar vocals upright bass and banjo wow so what'd you do I just, I just, I was like, I explained to everybody what had just happened. They, they have, they recorded it, by the way. I have a little video of it actually happening. Wow. Um, wow. You got to post this on YouTube or something. That's, yeah. that's wild, man. It was <laughs> a like, trip, man. Wow. Yeah, totally. Trip. I think you were tripping at the time. No, I probably was. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Speaking of which, so you've talked about microdosing and, um, how, what, and I, I read the story about how, or I think I heard about it from uh, uh, with uh, uh, the podcast you did with Chris um, Shiflet. Yeah, with Chris Shiflet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how is that? Is that something you're still doing? And um, how's that added, or what kind of effect has that had on your songwriting and just kind of just vibe in general? I do. I yeah. I do it. Uh, on occasion with mushrooms now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, there's been a lot of studies um, that have come out, you know, the last couple of years about, you know, the, um, you know, the effects um, that, um, you know, psychedelic drugs can have in a very positive way, yeah. you know, on, on people, you know, who are in emotional or, or some kind of mental distress, you know? Um, so for me, it's like a little reset, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't have to go, I don't have to go full on tripping in order to do it. You know, I can just eat a little bit of, of it and it just kind of rewires my brain, you know? And so every, I don't know, every couple of months or something, you right. know, at this point, I'll do something like that. I mean, I still, I still smoke a fair amount of reefer, you yeah. know, but, but nowadays it's to go to sleep or to relax or, you know, whatever. It's not, I don't, I'm not getting up every morning and, and, you know, rolling a hog leg and just going to town all day long. <laughs> yeah. That's just uh, um, fun to do, but yeah, it's not, yeah, not, not super my, productive. 
great in my 20s but yeah um now you know i've decided at this point that i'm a songwriter rather than a um a pot smoker so <laughs> i'm go- i'm going more with that the um, two don't but, really go well together i i mean i love uh, i love listening to music on weed but like you know it's not yeah. like super productive right well that's the thing man is you know it's like you got to pick up the pen every day you know yeah. and write something down so if you know i i can't I don't allow myself to do anything until I've done at least a little bit of that, you know? Oh yeah. You mean on a daily basis? Yeah. 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 Um, can you talk about a little bit of your experience with, um, touring with Lucinda, Lucinda Williams? How was that? How was that? Incredible. Um, her band is so amazing and she's so amazing. And that last album that she did is just, is, is stunning. Absolutely. Um, Butch Norton is probably one of my favorite drummers of all time. Incredible drummer, incredible singer, um, has worked with such a wide variety of, of amazing artists. Um, probably my three favorites that he's played with are Rufus Wainwright, Eels, and Lucinda Williams. Um, mm. But he's worked with tons of, of, of great uh, performers um, through the years. Um, but him in that band is so spectacular to watch man he's he first of all he's like so many of us he really reveres Lou's songwriting you know and and i and i think the same way that i do really looks at her as one of the great american songwriters you know i put lucinda williams in the same breath as tom petty i know that maybe she's not you know as commercial but i but for a certain for a certain you know, portion of, of us, um, she's written the same kind of soundtrack. Like I could live my life by Lucinda Williams songs. And wow. I kind of have in a lot of ways, you yeah, know, yeah. um, you know, cause she's just, you know, she just nails it time after time after right. time, always something I can relate to, whether it's a song like real live bleeding fingers and broken guitar strings, or, you know, um, you can't rule me or, yeah. you know, on the rock and roll side of things. But then right. like, also love an album like West, mm-hmm. you know, where she's where she's got Bill Frizzell, you know, playing all this beautiful, like, you know, it's just like these canyons of guitar, right. sparkling, gorgeous delays and like amazing, you know, um, you know, well, wells of reverb and and, um, you know, all this all this kind of, um, you know, beautiful kind of understated, really, um, you know, folk song. You know, yeah. um, I love you, mommy, you're sweet or fancy funeral, you know? Um, so she really, again, is like another artist to me who, you know, has that Johnny Thunders thing of like, she can write an amazing punk rock song. She can write an amazing, you know, sort of roots rock song. She can write an amazing folk song, yeah. you know, she can make you laugh. She can make you cry. She can make you dance. She can do all of those things. And, um, and she's so humble about it man yeah and she loves to to talk about all that stuff i mean yeah yeah that's really really cool and really eloquent and open about her process and and where those songs come from and i um you know i've seen her a couple times but i also most almost most memorably i've seen her at uh talia hall in chicago uh do car wheels on a gravel road the whole album and then she's like talking about every song a lot before and after not just whipping through the whole album but you know almost to the point of like i thought she'd probably take questions from the crowd you know (laughs) i mean it was like almost like a npr seminar on that album by the album 
by the writer of the out al- by the artists. Crazy. No, I saw that same tour when it came to the Ryman, and they had oh, the video, cool. the great video behind it, which my friend Scott Sachs actually, who's a great songwriter from Philadelphia, he made that video that they were playing behind. Oh, no them. kidding, no kidding. Um, and yeah, man, so cool. I loved that show only because. I'd always really wanted to see like a VH1 storytellers or something like that from Lucinda. I I was always (laughs) dying to see something like that. And that show felt like something like that to me. Cause as you said, you were really hearing where she was coming from, like while she was writing those songs, which is amazing to hear. Right. I mean, everyone's always begging classic performers to go out and do old albums, but to do it in that way and talk about it and really people left really thinking like, I've really got something out of this and it was same. It was amazing. So what was it like to be on tour with her then? Cause you're such a fan and like, how did you know her before and how'd you connect up with her? And, Oh, so this is a great story. Um, she and Tom, her, um, husband, um, were having dinner in Nashville at one night. And they said to the waiter as he was bringing the check, um, is there anything going on in town tonight? We're looking for something to do. And the waiter said, Oh, this, this guy, Aaron Lee Tastian is doing a CD release show at, um, third and Lindsley, um, (laughs) that I'm going to go to after I get off my shift, you know, you guys should go check it out or whatever. Right. So I I guess that, you know, Tom and and Lou must just be the coolest people ever in the world because they basically took this waiter's (laughs) advice and (laughs) came to my show. And I walk, you know, we finished the set and I walked in the dressing room and uh, there was Lucinda. And and I, I almost was like, I thought, well, she must be here, you know, Maybe she knows somebody here. Right. Or, you know, right. I was she like, had to go to the no bathroom way. and she made a wrong right. turn. Exactly. <laughs> no, man. But, you know, she she actually, you know. Um, oh, my friend Kim Bowie, who is does A&R at New West Records. She came backstage and saw Lou and and came over and, and made an introduction for mm-hmm. me. And, and, oh, cool. Which was very cool of her to do. Because, um, I, man, you know. The kind of guy I am, like, I would love to talk to Lucinda Williams, but I'm also not the kind of person who's going to be like, no, like, I just thank you for your music. Like, I, you know, like, I, I'm sure she's heard that a million times and I don't want to be that guy to her, you know. Um, so um, Kim, thankfully, introduced us and we just we had a, a really cool chat. You know, it wasn't super long, but she, you know. I was kind of taken aback by um, how sort of generous with praise like Lucinda was for my songwriting Mm -hmm. and the show that we'd done. Mm -hmm. And I didn't talk to her again. And the next thing I knew was like, you know, my manager called me up and said, Hey, Lucinda wants to know if you want to open these shows. Um, Wow. (laughs) So it was really, you know, she saw probably the last 30 minutes of my set that night and we had one conversation and she invited me on tour, which was at the time, like a huge break for me. I mean, we got to play yeah, the Fillmore. Yeah. With yeah, her yeah. Oh yeah. I saw that. Too. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, God, God man. Damn, wow. You know, that and was she, in and like 2017, I want to say 2017. Uh-huh, yeah. 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 
Um, and, you know, and I, and of course I became instant friends with, you know, like I said, with Butch Norton, but also with Stuart Mathis, her guitar player, who's an incredible yeah, musician, yeah, yeah. um, in his own right. Um, and, and yeah, it just, it gave me a, a huge boost. It was, I even had a song, this is how big a fan I, I am of Lucinda Williams. I have a song called Lucinda's Room about Lucinda Williams. I, I, I was playing a residency at the Crystal Hotel in Portland, Oregon, uh-huh. and and all the rooms of the hotel are named after different musicians. Oh yeah, I read about this. Yeah, uh huh. So I checked into the to the hotel to do start my. Re- it was a week long residency. Please tell me I, they gave you. I'm gonna interrupt you. Please tell tell me they gave you Lucinda Williams' room by just by chance. They did. <laughs> all right. I just wanted to just like know that no, where that was going. Totally. Yeah, they sure did, man. They were like, yeah, you're, you're going to be you're going to be staying in the drunken angel room. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and it was no, it's like I walked in the room and there was a huge mural of Lucinda on the wall. You yeah. know, and, and I just woke up to that every day and I was already such a fan. It just, you know, so I came up with this song like I sleep in Lucinda's room, you know, and right. um. I reference, I do reference the song Drunken Angel in there just because I'm also a a huge Blaze Foley fan and only really know of Blaze Foley because of that song, you know? Oh, what's the Um, connection there? I didn't know that. So Drunken Angel is a song about a singer named Blaze Foley, um, who people commonly, uh, refer to as the duct tape Messiah, um, because he used to make, um, a lot of a lot of his clothes like and things that he would wear on stage out of duct tape wow and he he wrote he wrote us he wrote a song called clay pigeons that john prine covered on the album fair and square oh yeah for sure he also wrote a song called if i could only fly that willie nelson and merle haggard recorded um an incredible writer but just you know under the radar you know was never you know, very popular under his own name, but the song drunken angel is about him. Um, and so I of course was obsessed with that song and then found out, you know, Oh, it's about blaze Foley and then found blazes music would never have heard him if it wasn't for Lucinda. So kind of recalls Daniel Johnston where so many people are covering his songs and then like, wow. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Totally similar kind of thing. Like it's like, Oh, Beck, that's an amazing song by Beck. Wait, what? Yeah, what? right. <laughs> right. Yeah. He didn't write that one. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Totally. Right. Wow. That's so cool. So, so, um, wait, the Lucinda room thing, was that before that's a, that was before you had gone on tour with her. You had already written that song, just saying like, you're like a big fan of hers. Yeah. So what was it like to be on tour with her and like the inner, how, how was that? she was incredibly gracious you know there were wonderful hangs after the show where we'd Mm. go out to late night dinners and talk about music for hours and hours and uh and and you know finish bottles of red wine and and have a great time um and you know every single night her show was spectacular you know she she her voice is you know almost otherworldly like it it sound like sometimes she sings notes to me that sound like they're not even coming from her body. Like she's pulling them out of the earth and channeling them through her body and like, you know, and, and just letting them come through her or something like that, because wow. it's like the sheer power, you know, um, 
you know, particularly on like some of some of the newer songs that that she was, you know, writing at that time, um, you know, that were dealing with what we were facing in America. You know, I mean, she she, you know, like the Springsteen, you know, always talks about like, you know, how, you know, you can hear you can hear whether or not somebody believes it when they sing. Like there is Mm. no question that Lucinda believes it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ever, you know, but like there, there were these like notes that she would somehow like pull out that just didn't even seem physically possible, but they would just fill the whole room and like hit you in the chest, man. You know, it was physical the way that she sang, you know? Um, And um, I just, I don't, I don't know a lot of performers like that, you know, where I'm, I'm so just stunned by how they're singing by physically how they're singing, you know, cause she, you know, she has some cool moves and stuff, you know, some Lou, some Lou moves, yeah. you know, sways and stuff that she does while she's singing. But really to me, it's just about like this incredible, like, you know, voice that she's like somehow like channeling or something like that you know like i really think she's an underrated singer (laughs) if that's even possible to say yeah well i mean yeah if you're a fan you're like not enough people are going completely nuts over her but i i I, I, you know i would agree that she's she's phenomenal so how did did that have an influence on you just being around that for however long that was how long was that the, that was a couple of weeks, I think, you know, maybe three weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it had a tremendous influence. Lucinda, you know, she, she is, you know, a, she is a, a rock and roll star, you know, um, in every sense of the word. And, and I guess when I say star, I'm, I don't mean in the sense of like, like how people are a movie star. I mean, like, she's like an astral projection that you can't quite touch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can, you can get cl- You can see it up close. You can view it for the, through the telescope, right? you know, but it's, it's, it's kind of a whole, it's a whole other, it's, it's a, it's sort of, is like a solar system away always, you know, you can't quite reach it. Um, <laughs> right. And, and that, and to me, like, that's just a testament to like, you know, she's, she's lived her life in music. She's written all those songs. She's, you know, um, you know, I think Guy Clark said like the work will never fail you. Like she's, she's done the work and, and, you know, and she's, she's proof positive of, of that, man. It's like, if you, if you have that level of talent that she has and you, you know, write that many songs, like you just kind of get to this, this point where, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, like how Ginsburg talks about Dylan and like that mid sixties period, he just became a column of air, you know, and like everything just moved through him. Like that's Lucinda, man. She's, she's just like a, walk- a vessel. Yeah. She's walking poetry basically. Well, but when you say someone's a vessel, does that take away from their own particular talent to actually what you were saying to squeeze out those those notes when she's singing to, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean I, I it don't is, know. it is, it is her. <laughs> it is, it is, it is absolutely her. No, cause no one, cause no one else could do it. But I think like, that's the, you know, that's what I mean when I say that it's like, it's, you know, it's not, I don't, I, I, I think the place that she's, 
gotten to as an artist is, is a, is a place that few people ever get to. Um, and, uh, and, and she's, she's done that certainly by being herself, but I think she's also done that by like, not trying to like, um, she's done that by, by also like, having having us you know kind of like what we were talking about earlier like having a sense of curiosity about who she is Mm -hmm. you know and and not just feeling like there's this lucinda brand that she's like selling you never get even a whiff of that when you're around her man she's so authentic you know um and and you know whether that's in you know uh you know, uh, her, you know, beautiful, I remember the ACL when Lucinda Williams, uh, put out, um, car wheels, you know, and she was in this beautiful velvet jacket, you know, and she had her haircut short and, and, and she just looked stunning, man. And, and I love her look now with the leather jacket and the boots and the, she looks stunning all over again in a different way. You know what I mean? So it's like, she's really, you know, she's really done the, the job of, of being herself, but not ever, um, you know, allowing herself to be pegged down as just one thing, you know, which I think is, is, is a testament to her talent because only she could pull that off. Yeah. And it's clear that that is very role model E for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. Right. And just taking on so many different personas, but still being authentic to herself because that's kind of what she is. And I can see, um, from what I've learned about you, how that, how you can, how you admire that. Yeah, I do, man. I just, you know, I, if, if I, if I could do one thing that was even in the realm of Lucinda Williams, yeah. like I'd probably retire. <laughs> <laughs> you know right. what I mean? To me, that would be good enough. You know what I mean? I like, don't think you'd retire. I don't need, well, I think that not. sounds good to say. Yeah, it does sound good to say. I probably, I probably wouldn't quit, but I also probably you'd be happy with yourself. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. Right. But you work with so many different artists, and I just wanted to ask you about um, uh, with um, Eli with uh, from five, um, Father John Misty's band, and I, I apologize so much because I forget his last name. Thompson. Thompson, right. Whom yeah. I've met when they were on tour in uh in uh in the Midwest and I thought he's such a such a great guy and um so interesting. And you've worked with him on a couple different occasions, right? Yeah, he produced my very first full length record in the Blazes. Um he produced my second album, Silver Tears. Um also prior to that, he and I played in a band together called Everest, um, that was on Neil Young's label Vapor Records and then later on ATO Records. Um, and we, we, you know, toured in that band and, um, never, never did get around to recording. Um, but, um, I think actually they did just make a new record, although I don't know when we'll see the release of it or whatever, but, um, yeah, Eli, man, he was just one of those people that immediately I was just like, okay, this guy is, I, I need to, I need to figure out how I can be around this guy. Cause I feel like first of all, I have a lot to learn, but also, yeah. um, he's inherently coming from a place that I feel like I'm organically coming from too. And when you, when you find those kind of matchups, like, you know, it, it's, um, it's almost like you don't want to like spit in the face of, um, 
you know, of, 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 of what, what you would ultimately call like fate or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Right. You know, for sure. Right? It's it, you, karmically, you know, you want to sort of honor like the fact that somehow you've been brought together with this person that you're so simpatico with and like work with them as much as you can, as often yeah. as you can. Well, so, I think what, you, what, what you're saying is like work with cool people that you like. <laughs> basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially that's what it really boils down to. But also, you know, people who, um, will challenge you, you know, and Eli mm -hmm. is that kind of person for me, you know, he'll, he'll challenge me in a good way where I want to be challenged, you know, um, and he has no problem like being honest with me about, you know, um, a set of lyrics or, you know, a chord progression or a beat or, you know, any, any, anything really music related. Um, and we talk on, on the phone a lot about this kind of stuff too, you know? So in a lot of ways, you know, he's, he's much more than just like a, a producer or a friend. He's like, um, you know, this, this, this sort of, it's like, it's like we, it's like we have a secret together, you know, mm. or something like mm. that. Um, that, uh, that it's not a, you know, it's not a bad secret. It's just, it's, it's something that, you know, um, you don't want to give away to too many people because part of, of, of what's special about it is, is the connection, you know, that you share with that other person over it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in that way, like we, we just kind of get each other. And so, you know, he'll ask me to play guitar on other things that, that he's, you know, producing or whatever. And I'm constantly, you know, telling, encouraging other people to, to work with him. Yeah. Um, you know, because he is, is an invaluable resource and really understands so much of what we were talking about earlier. Music is not about rehearsing it until it's perfect. And I mean, it might be for some people, but not for us, you know, we're right. trying to create again, these, these moments, um, that, that feel, um, almost like they came out of nowhere. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and so in order to do that, you have to have spontaneity. So, we have a whole group of people like besides Eli, you know, David Vanderveld, who's also a member of, of the Misty band, but, um, you know, makes his own music separately. Um, oh, who does da David it, is the one from, uh, from California, right? Yeah. 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 He, he plays guitar and yeah, he lives Misty like in band. Manhattan beach or something, right? Yeah. And he plays his own music as well. That's amazing. Um, and, um, yeah, just crazy talented mm -hmm. dude. Yep. Another one of those. Yeah. You know, so we kind of have this crew, you know, cool. uh, and, and, and I'll tell you who brought us all together, um, is the great Richard Swift. Hmm. Uh, Eli was in Richard's band, the sons of national freedom, and even played on several of those famous Richard Swift solo LPs. And Vanderveld was the opening act on some of those Swift tours. And in fact, on the, um, on the album Swift as Onassis, Richard even has a song called Vanderveld Blues that he named. Really? <laughs> we're all that we're all pretty sure he named after Dave. You know, like that was for David. That was like his tip of the hat to David. You right. Know? That's so cool. Um, yeah. So you know, everything is intertwined, man. Yeah, man. We're all coming to it from a place of like you know admiration for our our buddy Richard. You know how um how close are you to an ALT FJM tour? <laughs> I mean, come on come on think of the marketing you know, possibilities we it was funny we <laughs> we were on the same festival together um a couple of years ago in Ultricht, mm. uh and 
and I played my set and, and, um, they had just finished their set and we were kind of hanging in the, in the dressing room for a minute. And, um, Josh kind of looked over at me at one point and said like, um, man, I, you know, I, uh, I really like that sweater you have on. I had on this, this like metallic silver sweater that I'd bought at a ladies store in San Francisco (laughs) off the sale rack or whatever. Right. And it kind of looked, it kind of almost looked like the, the, like the, the armor, like a knight of the round table. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) And, uh, you know, he just, he just said, uh, it was like, yeah, man, like, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I wish I could, I wish I could pull something like that off, you know, uh, (laughs) or something like that, you know? Um, so you never know, man. I mean, maybe if, maybe if I, you know, if I just show up enough in the right sweater, maybe it'll happen, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, or just. Eli ought to be able to put in a good word for you at least. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see you, you guys, uh, the two of uh, you, um, you and Josh together. That'd be great. He saw me. I or I um I had I had the opportunity to talk with him after the show and um at the Auditorium Theater in Chicago when he played here. I don't know, like a couple of years ago, and you know I was just I'd gone up to get a beer in Michigan Avenue, loop back down, ride my bike back home because I live farther south than just near auditorium theater is just standing outside. So I was hanging out with him and he like points at me and goes, Hey, future me. (laughs) 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 All right, Matt. Sounds fair. Sounds fair. Yeah. He's funny. He's fun, fun guy, fun guy. Yeah. Well, that would be, that would be really cool combination for you guys. And, um, but I'm super excited for, for, um, congratulations on this, this latest album. It's really, it's really phenomenal. And, um, I love everything you do, man. And um, you've been so gracious with your time, and I really appreciate really appreciate you being here on on uh, on Roadcase, man. And um, I wish you the best of luck, and I hope to catch you out on tour sooner rather than later. Oh, thanks so much, Josh, and thanks for having me on, man. It was a really fun, uh, unexpected at times conversation, and I so I appreciate that. Thank oh, cool, you so much cool for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad you had a good time, man. Yeah, cool. All right, Aaron. I will. Uh, I'll see you soon, man. Take care. You too, brother. Stay Bye. safe. Stay well. All right. Later you too. On. Later. Bye. Okay, that was Aaron Lee Tashton. Oh, I love that guy so much. Um, I really had a great time doing that interview. Um, Aaron's had a lot of ups and downs, you know. I mean, I oh, the story about how. Uh, you know, to hear his whole New York doll story and leaving seven semi-precious weapons. And, uh, he was depressed, man. That, that was super hard for him clearly. Uh, but to come back and, uh, tour with New York dolls, uh, I love the, the ending to that story is great. And, you know, he's, it's an, it's an evolving process for him and he's philosophical about things and introspective and, I love the genre defying uh, type of career that he's had so far. Um, you know, he's, he's, he says that he's in a constant state of, um, of flux and he's really, uh, his artistry is, is very fluid and he follows his own feelings and, um, that when he's moving uh, in a particular direction, uh, you know, he's moving into the direction that just feels right for him. And that's, that's a great thing. And, you know, he, he made a point of quoting Bob Dylan and saying that, uh, you know, that someone should, you should always be in a constant state of being. And I think I'm paraphrasing that, but, uh, you know, and he 
Dylan goes on to say that if you fa you failed, if you think that you've figured it out. So I think that really is a great quote uh, that Aaron came up with uh, from Dylan and uh, uh, truly kind of encapsulates how um, Aaron's been living his life as a performer. I love his dedication to the live performance as well. Loved his stories about um, Lucinda Williams, whom he clearly uh, just insanely admires as an artist, as do I. And I really loved hearing those stories about performance, about how Aaron grew up and uh, the type of artist and performer that he's become today. And clearly that evolution is not at an end nowhere near so i look forward to uh to to seeing aaron live uh when things come back and i look forward to hearing new material from aaron going forward uh thanks so much to everyone for tuning in for this uh special episode with aaron lee tastian make sure you listen to his most recent album uh entitled tastian 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 uh thanks again for tuning into this episode and i want to thank aaron for being here on this episode of road case Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And if you are able to and like to support Roadcase, we have a Patreon site at patreon.com slash roadcasepod. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>